everyone. Welcome, welcome everybody that's watching online today. So good to have you join us today. Well, we're in a series here about stewardship. And we've talked about how God has established a management company where He's the owner and we are the managers. That God's entrusted to us resources and finances and relationships and ministries and even our own bodies. You know, we're supposed to be stewards of our own bodies even. And I thank the Lord that that I'm not talking about that today. (laughs) Okay, but last week uh, we started talking about being good stewards of money and specifically seven practices to managing money God's way. How many of you remember the first one that we did last week? It was, it was what? Tithe. Tithe. And you remember specifically the title I had for it? It was, I know, I know you only get about 8% of what I actually say up here. That's fine. I get it. No, but it's, it's bring the tithe. It's bring the tithe. And I really like that word bring. Okay, and that's right from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Right, that that God uses that word bring too. And I like the word bring because it helps us remind, it reminds us ownership. Right, it reminds us who owns the money. Right, that we don't give the tithe but we bring the tithe. When you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower, you, you bring it back to him. You bring back to him what is already his. And how many of you know that we don't bring the tithe because of the Levitical Old Testament law, but we bring the tithe because we love Jesus. Is that right? That we're under a new law in Jesus. Love God and love each other. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know if I'd call it a law. That's not a suggestion. <laughs> Jesus commands us to love God and love each other. And just like Abel did, just like Abraham did, we tithe out of love and thanks. Now today, we're going to talk about the remaining six practices to managing money God's way. And you know, I really believe that God wants to bring all of us into a place of peace in our finances. I really believe that. Okay? Um, and, and in order to do that, to get to that stress-free place, to know joy. Not everybody thinks joy when they think of their finances. Okay? But I think the first thing we need to do is repent. We need to repent. And repent involves two things. Number one, we need to take accountability. We need to take accountability. Stop pointing fingers at the economy and our upbringing and the government and our spouses and our ex-spouses and COVID and whatever we are blaming our financial situation on. And don't get me wrong, all those things can be factors. They can all influence our finances for sure. But how many of you know that none of those things justify disobedience? Is that right? Okay, so we have to take accountability for our messes when we've taken ownership of God's money and managing money our way. Okay, the second thing though with repentance is we need to, uh, we'll need to make a decision to change. 
So we take accountability, but then we also need to do that 180 degree turn. We need to decide to surrender to God's way of doing things and then do it. And then follow through. Okay, so everything that I'm going to present today, and this is definitely like a a teaching today more than a preaching, okay? But everything that I'm going to present today is very practical, and you can apply it today, right today in your life. Okay? Today can be the day that, that it can all turn around for you financially. Does that sound okay? Are we ready to go? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you've done already here today. I thank you for your faithfulness, God, for meeting with us, for ministering to us, for loving on us. And I pray, God, that we just have the right heart and the right mindset today when we're talking about about money, about finances, about doing it your way, God. I, I just pray that that we're going to be open and receptive to the voice of God today. That we're not interested in hearing from Pastor Brett, but we're interested in what you have to say to us today, God. That we don't just hear your written word today, God, but we hear that rhema word too, that specific word that you have for each one of us today, God. And I just pray that we're going to respond to that word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, number one. The remaining six practices. Number one, one of the first things we need to do in managing money God's way is to make a budget. Is to make a budget. How many of you remember uh, the A-Team from the 80s? How many of you watched the A-Team from the 80s? Quite a few of you. Right, we got, remember Mr. T? Mr. T was B.A. Baracus, and there was Face, and there was Murdoch, and there was Hannibal, right? Hannibal was the leader, right? He's the one who always made the plan. And at the end of the show, Hannibal would be lighting his victory cigar, and what would he always say? I love it when a plan comes together, right? That is what a budget is. Okay, a budget is a plan. How many of you ever heard this before? If we plan to fail, sorry. (laughs) I blew it already. Let me try that again. We plan to fail when we fail to plan. In order for us to be successful in finances and light that victory cigar, I'm not endorsing smoking, We need to plan, okay? And so that plan, that budget, it helps us to map out our finances. It gives us direction. It tells us where we can go with our money and where we should not go with our money, okay? And so if you're lost financially or you found yourself in a place that you don't want to be, okay, it's very likely that you don't have a plan, right? A budget. And so now we consult this map, we consult this plan uh, when, when we want to make purchases. And, and you know, the beautiful thing about a budget is it takes the emotion out uh, of buying something, 
right? Because it's either I can afford it or I can't based on this budget. It's not about what I feel, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm a spender at heart, okay? I, I enjoy buying things and spending money, okay? Is anyone else like me? Okay, it is so good that we didn't all get married because we'd be so poor. We would be so poor right now. But a lot of times when, when I'm buying something, there's, there's an emotion that's attached to it, right? You, you kind of get excited at the thought that this is going to be yours in a few minutes, right? <clears throat> and, um, and so what the budget does, it helps to take that emotion out of it. Another thing that I find, this is just, this is just for free, this one. But what I find for myself is if I can remove myself from that item or, or from the store, uh, that, that my senses come back to me. <laughs> Has anyone else experienced that? So when I see something, I know I really want it, I like it, but I know that I probably shouldn't buy it, but I know the emotion is going to win, then if I walk away, if I just leave the store, it's amazing. If it's not in front of my eyes, the, the emotion leaves, my senses return, and it's like, oh, thank goodness I walked away. Because I don't actually need that. In fact, I don't even know if I want it. It's just shiny, and it looks cool. Um, <clears throat> but the budget helps take that emotion and helps us to count the cost. Luke 14, 28 says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? It helps us count the cost. Listen to this. If it doesn't fit the budget, don't buy it. If it doesn't fit the budget, don't buy it. Um, I heard a story of this family and this mother specifically who always would refer to the budget as Mr. Budget. And every time the kids asked for something or her husband asked for something, she would say, well, hey, let's ask Mr. Budget. And one time they're in a restaurant. I, I too could see how that would get really annoying quickly. But anyway, that's okay. And so they're in a restaurant and, uh, and their daughter, uh, there was toys in this restaurant. She really wanted one of these, these toys. And so the mother went into her spiel and said, well, let's see how, uh, let's see what Mr. Budget has to say. And, uh, and, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Budget says we're not going to be able to buy that today. And so driving home, it's quiet in the car, and all of a sudden, um, her, her daughter says from the back seat, Mommy, I want Mr. Budget to die. <laughs> How many of you ever felt that way before? We've all felt that way at times, but this is a very important life point right here. Living in financial peace far outweighs having the toy in the moment. Living in financial peace far outweighs having the toy in the moment. You know, for lots of us, we hear the word budget and we think it just causes us stress because maybe we're not very mathematically minded or financially minded and we don't really know how to do that right and and that's the great thing about being part of the family of God 
okay, is that you can ask for help. You don't have to write your map on your own. And lots of times I think that there's, there's embarrassment around people's finances and there's shame around people's finances. That's going to prevent you maybe from asking for help. Okay, but, but we got we to gotta understand something. There's only one person in the history of the world that has never made a mistake or a mess of their finances. Only one. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. There's only one. We've all blown it. We've all made a mess. I'm going to talk about a mess that I've made coming up quick. Okay? And so we can't allow that to prevent us from asking for help because we've all done it. Right? And we've got people in this church that are very financially minded. In fact, they even do it for a living. Right? My wife is one of them. And, and so if you come to me and say, Pastor Brett, I really need help. Don't worry, I won't help you. But I will, I will direct you to the person that can help you. Okay? <laughs> because my suggestion would be, hey... Let's just talk it over. Let's talk it. You know, talk it over some shopping. I don't know. Let's just figure it out. No, just kidding. So you don't have to do that alone. Okay. So that's number one: is we need to make a budget. Number two is we need to give God the first. Give God the first. There's a biblical principle in giving God our first fruits. Look at Proverbs chapter three and verse nine to ten. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with a new wine. And so this principle of, of the first, it's about putting God first in your life and giving God your best. That's what it's about. The principle of first. Putting God first and giving him your best. And we see this principle from the very beginning in effect with Cain and Abel. Look at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 2 to 5. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Cain was a, a farmer, Abel was a rancher. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. <laughs> See, Abel brought the first, right? He brought his best as an offering to God, and it was honored by God. Cain brought what he wanted to bring. And it was rejected by God. Look at Jude 1 verse 11. This helps us to understand this a little bit better. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Two words that describe Cain, his heart, and his offering. Greedy and rebellious. Greedy and rebellious. Okay, remember, giving is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Do you grieve the loss of money when you give it to the Lord? 
Do you have more conviction to tip a waiter or a waitress than to give to the Lord? Are you resentful when pastors talk about money? What was your heart when I said we're talking about money today? Are you a cheerful giver or are you a pouty giver? Right? Are you the owner or are you the manager? Do you do it his way or do you give your own way? How many of you know God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart? Is that right? Right? And so one of the best indicators of God's first in your life is to look at your bank statement. Who do you honor first when you get paid? Think about that for a minute. Who do you honor first? We're not going to get legalistic about this, okay? I don't want to get legalistic about this. I don't want to get religious about this, right? You look at your bank statement and, you know, your heart, your intention is to honor God first, but you see that, you know, something came out of your account before you got to give God his, right? Now you feel, you feel bad and guilty about that. That's not right. That's not what we want. We're not getting legalistic about it, right? But it just helps us to see. It helps us to understand where is our heart. Who do you honor when you first get paid? Who gets the first fruits? Remember what we said last week? Important life point. 90% of money blessed by God goes much further than 100% of our money that is cursed. Right? We talked about that curse, that spirit of mammon. So do you give God the first or do you give God the leftovers? And how many of you know this? How many of you know this? from? I know this from experience. If I don't give God the first, there aren't any leftovers. Have you ever experienced that before? Right? Or my intention is, yeah, I want to give to the Lord, but first I want to do this, 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 and this. And then by the time I get to the Lord, there's nothing left. Right? So do you give God the first, or have you gone the way of Cain? And you know what? God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done already. Is that true? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become, what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Colossians 1, 15, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. How many of you know that God gave us his first and he gave us his best? Is that right? Hallelujah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us his firstborn, his first fruit, his highest and best gift for the world. Okay, moving on. Number three, get out of debt. Number three is get out of debt. Okay, and there's three ways, uh, three things I want to talk about real quick here. Number one, be intentional. You are not going to get out of debt on purpose. Sorry. Sorry. You are not going to get out of debt by accident. <laughs> Sorry. It needs to be on purpose. It needs to be intentional. Okay? <laughs> Number two. This is why. This is why you need to not trust everything I say and make sure what I say matches the word of God. Okay, number two. Um, is we need to get rid of your credit card. Get rid of your credit card. 
Okay, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, that scripture kind of gives us new meaning to the term master card, doesn't it? How many of you know it's not very fun being a slave to credit card companies? Anybody know that? And some of us need to do some plastic surgery, right? We need to cut up some credit cards. Okay, and the first thing we ask to go when we're really struggling in debt is the credit cards. Okay, here's a life point for you. For you. Using a credit card while trying to get out of debt is like using a shovel to get out of a pit. You just dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. Okay, I know this from personal experience. I've had my visa for a long time. My visa, my limits start at $1,000. Okay, well, a few years ago, my limit got extended up to uh, $20,000. And um, the reason why is because it, it didn't go from 1000 to 20000 but the bank kept increasing my limit. And they'd say, they, they, you know, email, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they used to ask me, do you want, you know, you know, you're able to increase your limit. Would you like to do it? Sure, that sounds great. What's wrong with that? And so the bank really liked me because I always had a healthy balance on my visa, but I was making payments every month. But the payments weren't really doing much for my balance, but the payments were definitely um, paying the bank. And so they loved me, and so they kept increasing my limit. And guess what happened as my limit increased? My debt increased, right? And, and so all of a sudden, I've got almost $20,000 on my visa. And I am, I am shocked that this has happened. I can't believe this has happened. And, um, and so I try in my own way to get out of debt, but I'm still using my credit card, okay? And, and, and the more I use my credit card, what happens? The more I'm digging deeper, deeper into debt. And so finally I say, okay, God, uh, I need help. I need help. I, I, don't, I can't do this on my own. I can't get out of this debt by myself. I need your help. And uh, God opened a door for me. In fact, he, he, it, was, it was amazing. But um, he provided uh, a job for me. And so I actually took a second job to pay my visa. Okay? And, um, <clears throat> and so God didn't, didn't drop it out of the sky for me, like we talked about last week. But I had to work for it, and I had to learn a lesson. And last year, about this time, um, I brought my visa down to zero. Down to zero. Okay? And my point with all that is this. God provides a way out. God provides a way out. Whether it's trials or sin or sorrow or debt, God walks us through the valleys. And I tell you, if you've got a heart that you're trying to get your finances in order, you're trying to do things God, God's way, he is on board with that. And he is going to miraculously help you do that. Okay? He can provide a way out. So be intentional. Get rid of the credit card. Here's the other one. Give. Give. This is how you get out of debt. 
This is contrary to everything the world will tell you. And this even goes against your own logic, doesn't it? So you want, you're saying, I need to get out of debt. And so now you're saying, I need to give more money away so I can get out of debt. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. God says, give, and it's going to be given back to you. And I want to look at that scripture for a minute, Luke 6, 38. Because oftentimes we, we say this scripture, and I don't know if we fully understand it in context. But Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And so these were farming terms that Jewish people, they understood. Okay, so there's two types of people that were collecting food in the field. There's the workers, and they're collecting the wheat uh, from the harvest in the middle of the field, right? But then God commanded them to leave the corners of the field for the poor people, okay? And so the workers, when they were gathering the wheat, they couldn't fill their basket full and overflowing because it'd be too, carry, too heavy to carry. But the poor people, they knew that this is all they're getting, right? So they would, they would put a good measure in their basket, and they'd press it down and they'd shake it, right, until it was running over and they could put as much in there as they could, okay? And so the principle here, the principle here is that if you're generous in giving, then God's going to be generous back to you. But how many of you know that God is much more generous than you are? Right? How many of you know that, that God, uh, that we can't outgive God? Is that right? Okay, so when he gives, it's good measure. It's not like how we give, but when he gives, it's good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Right? And when I was trying to get out of my credit card debt, I never stopped giving. In fact, the year that I was trying to get out of debt, I gave more that year than I did my entire life. Probably 40 to 50% more than I gave in my tithes and my offerings before that. That makes no sense logically, right? But I was able to pay off a $20,000 debt in 10 months. And I was giving more than I had ever given before. How's that possible? Because when we give, God gives more. You can't outgive Him. Right? This is why God says in Malachi 3 that we can test Him. He wants to show us, prove to us His faithfulness. Listen, I tested Him. And God was proven faithful. Hallelujah. Number four. Don't buy now and pay later. These are all connected, aren't they? Romans 8.24 says we're saved by trusting. And trusting means looking forward to getting, somewhere, so, to getting something we don't yet have. For a man who already has something doesn't need to hope and trust that he will get it. There's a term here I want us to hear. It's called delayed gratification. Okay, God wired us for delayed gratification. 
right? God wired us to look forward to things, to wait for things. And, and when we receive those things that we've waited for and, and um, we've, we've saved for and we've, you know, there's just a joy. There's just a joy in that. Um, I remember when I was about, I don't know, anywhere from, say, four to six years old. Um, I was in a store with my parents and, and I saw this, this package of police stuff. It had a police gun, and it had two darts that shoot out of the gun, okay? And this, is, this was revolutionary in the 80s, okay? And there was a police baton to hit bad guys with. And the best thing about it, there was these plastic handcuffs. You get them today still. But these plastic handcuffs, I wanted them so bad. They had a little key, right? And I don't, how many of you remember the show Chips? California Highway. Yeah, I, I was punch. I wanted to be punch. So I wanted this thing so badly. And I asked my parents if I could have it, and they said no, but you can save up for it. And so I did that. So, I mean, I just had like pennies. This thing was $1.59. I can still see the price sticker in my mind today. It's $1.59. And so I saved, and it took me, you know, maybe a few weeks or a few months. I don't really remember. But, I mean, I was only getting pennies, right? Nickels, dimes. That's back when there was penny candies at the penny store. Anyway, I'm super old. I am just feel super old. And, and so I saved, and, and the excitement and the joy that's attached to being able to buy that after I worked and saved to get that $1.59. It impacted me so much that I still remember it like it was yesterday, and it's 40-some years later. Right? Because this is how God wired us. Credit cards have robbed us of that joy and that hope. They've robbed us of that. Right? But God wants us to experience joy and hope with money. And like I've just been saying, one of the best ways to do that is to save. And that's number five. Number five is save. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Wise people save. A foolish man spends everything that he makes. If you have been alive on this planet for longer than 12 seconds, you know that there's going to be something unexpected that comes up that you're going to need money for. Is that true? Okay, and we've all heard the term, save for a rainy day, right? Save for those moments, those times when we need money for cars and appliances breaking down. Maybe all of a sudden there's some health issues. Maybe all of a sudden your family or your friends are in a crisis and you need to be able to have some money to help them with. And the list goes on and on and on. Okay, and something that we've taught our kids for saving is the 80-10-10 principle. Okay, how many of you are aware of the 80-10-10? So 10% of whatever they get goes to tithing. 10% of whatever they get goes to saving and then they get to have the 80% and, and live and spend the 80%, right? Not that we can't do that still with God's direction, but, 
but that's what we go with, the 80-10-10, and I think that's a wise starting point. All right, number six, number six, I'm already at the end, okay, is live below your means. Live below your means. The most common testimony that people have that tithe, or sorry, that don't tithe, is I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. Okay? Now, if that statement is true, because I'm not sure that's always a true statement, but if that statement is true, the most common reason people can't afford to give and tithe is because they're living above their means. They're spending more money than they make. Does that make sense? Okay, and um, how many of you have ever lived above, don't, don't raise your hand, but you've lived above your means. I've lived above my means before. Okay, and so here's some signs. These are just five signs. They're not the five signs. They're just five signs that maybe you are living above your means. Okay, number one is you have to regular, regularly borrow money from family and friends. If you have to do that on a regular basis, you're probably living above your means. Okay, here's another one. Uh, you're, you're into your overdraft every month well before the month is over. Does that resonate with anyone? Okay, um, I used to have a $500 overdraft earlier on in my marriage. Okay, um, <clears throat> how many of you know the, the sick feeling that you get when you get paid and immediately you have $500 less because you have to pay the overdraft from the month before. Anybody else know that sick feeling? I do. Okay, and so um, I got rid of my overdraft years ago. And listen, I've never missed it. That's the honest truth. I've never missed it. Not once to say, oh man, I really regret not getting rid of my overdraft. Not once have I missed it. Um, and, and that's contrary to what banks will tell you. Um, Charity and I were in a, a, a meeting a couple months ago at the bank, and it was about something else, and he just saw in my account that I don't have overdraft, and, and the bank representative was just shocked. And he said, you don't have overdraft? How come you don't have overdraft? And I said, I don't, I don't need it. And, and he then for the next five minutes tried to convince me of why I should have overdraft. And I was starting to get annoyed. And so I just said to him, um, you know, as Christian as possible, <laughs> I just said to him, why, why would I want an opportunity to spend money that I don't have? And he had nothing to say. He literally had nothing to say to that, right? Because the reason he wants me to have the overdraft is so that bank can get more money, okay? So we have to know who our trusted financial people are here. Okay, here's another one. You can't afford to save for an emergency fund or for retirement if you can't afford to do those things. Okay, and I've always had kind of a bad attitude about retirement fund. I have. My, my attitude is always, well, 
Jesus is coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna need it. Right? Have you ever thought that way? I've thought that way. I don't know. I'm the only one. Okay, fine. Right? But this is an important love, life point. It's gonna be a love point. We live like Jesus is coming back tomorrow, but we plan like He's not coming back for another hundred years. Okay? We live like He's coming back tomorrow. Okay, that's another message right there. But we plan like he's not coming back for a long time. A hundred years could, could be a thousand years, okay? For a long time. Okay. Number four is you have that rising credit card balance each month. It keeps rising and rising. You're probably living above your means. Here's another one is, is your car is less than five years old. Okay, and I'm not saying you're not allowed to have a new car. You can have, if the Lord wants to give you a new car, that's great. But I think a lot of times people are, are so strapped financially because they have such a big car payment. They got such a big car payment. Um, I, I was listening to Robert Morris last week, and, and he was talking about how when him and his wife decided earlier on in their marriage that they were going to get their finances in order, the first thing they did was they sold their, their brand new car. They had this big car payment and they weren't able to do and manage their money God's way because of this big car payment. And so they sold their car and they bought a $750 car. And he said they loved that car. They loved it. They didn't miss the new car at all. Every time he got into that car he said he felt joy. Because he was honoring God. He was coming into obedience with God and his word. And wanting to do things God's way. Right? And so the question that, that we need to ask ourselves is this. What changes do you need to make to get your finances in order? This is something that we need to sit down and think about. Right? Right? What changes do you need to make to be able to get out of debt? To be able to save? To be able to give? To be able to live below your means? What are some of the changes? You know, maybe they're small sacrifices. Maybe they're like, you know, maybe this is a small sacrifice for some of you, but maybe, maybe you can't go to Tim Hortons, do the Tim Hortons run two to three times a day. Right? See, now I've just got angry faces. I've just offended... <laughs> I apologize. I never should have said Tim Hortons. Maybe you got to pack lunches instead of eating out a little bit more. You know, maybe you got to maybe you got to shut off Disney Plus and Netflix and Crave and the other 500 channels that you don't watch. I've had Disney Plus for two years, and I think I've watched three things on it. I think I need to cut that out. That just dawned on me. Okay, what is it? Maybe you got to park your car for a few months. Okay? And, and just, you know, save up some of that gas money. Right? Maybe you need to sell your car like Pastor Morris did. Maybe you need to downsize your house. Okay? Because remember, we need to take accountability... For sure, that's part of repentance. It's taking accountability. But the second part of it is making decisions to change. 
to surrender to God's way of doing things. God, you know, if, if I really want to live below my means, and I really want to honor you, God, in giving, and I really want to be able to save, and, and I really want to be able to bless people, and I really want to be able to do all the things that you want me to do with my money, then God, tell me. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to change. Because it's nice that you know, we hear this message, right? And, and we can leave here with a couple attitudes, right? I think Pastor Brett should mind his own business. <laughs> that could be one attitude. But the other attitude could be, God, I want what you want. I want what you want. Help me. Help me. Show me. Teach me. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to invite the worship team up. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you just for these practical principles. And God, it just, it just always comes to our heart. And so God, I just pray. I just pray that we have the right heart about our money. Bring us to a place, God, where we have the right heart in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray that everyone here, everyone in this room, is going to start doing the things that they need to do to come into that place of peace, of peace and joy concerning money. That it does not have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be what it's always been. But God, there's a new way, your way, that can bring us to that place of peace. And so God, I just pray that we're going to respond. All of us, and me included, and you've been working on me this week too. Just all of us, God, that we just respond to whatever you're saying to us. In Jesus' name.